Welcome to another episode of the Homebrew Audio Podcast. Learn to record professional quality audio at home. I'll show you how. I'm recording this while still at PodFest Expo, as promised. One of my fellow presenters in the podcast editor's experiential track is Brian Ensminger. He's the founder of the Hindi Users, unofficial, Facebook group. (laughs) and the creator of the course Hindenburg Light Quick Start. As all of that may have implied, he is a podcast editor and an expert on the audio recording and editing software called Hindenburg. So welcome, Brian. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. This is my first PodFest, but you've been here before, right? Yeah, this is my second. Oh, okay. So what would you say is awesome about PodFest? I mean, the the standard answer, of course, is the people. Like, I knew I wanted to come to PodFest, and there were some things I wanted to see. I'm hoping, of course, that I would get some business or some connections out of this. Mm -hmm. Primarily, I'm interested in seeing the people. Some of them have become my friends, even if by distance. And then also being a, a resource for people that are maybe struggling with some part of their podcast production. And if I can help them along the way so they keep going or get better or whatever, then that's that's really why I'm here. So if you feel like you've helped someone and made a couple of friends along the way, then yeah. it's been a successful Yeah, and uh, in fact, event. I've actually got an app in my phone where I'm tracking, did I make some new connections today? Oh, did I cool. help some people today? Because that's what I want to focus on. Awesome. Yeah. So how did you get started in the sort of audio slash podcasting world at all? How did you get into that? Sure. So I mean, we could of course go all the way back to high school where I was like a super nerd, but uh, avoided the AV people because they were kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. But um, primarily, I, I got to a place about 2013, 2014, where I had a good day job and I was fairly well engaged. But I kept going, yeah, there's got to be something a little bit more. And I saw a market or a group of people that I thought I could serve. And I thought that I probably had the skills to put together a podcast because I'd done some music production. Not like super high level stuff, but I just had done that. At home? Uh, At home. I'd done some stuff. A friend and I wrote some music for an audio book, some stuff like that. Awesome. And I was like, well, I've got GarageBand. I can get a microphone. I'm good enough to plug in a microphone and talk into it. (laughs) And so I started a show. And I actively was looking for ways like, how can I make sure that I fund this? Because my agreement with my wife was, I've got this block of money and we'll keep going until the money runs out or until we see that there's a path to the money. And shortly before that money ran out, there became a path to do that. And even though I was looking for like a product-based or intellectual property-based, like a training or something like that, what I found was service-based is really kind of where I Mm -hmm. fell into it. And so that's where I started editing for somebody else. He was my first client was free and he was a guest on my show. And he started producing a segment for my show that we then spun off into his own show. And we started doing that. And then about that time, I found Chris Curran's podcast engineering show, started upskilling and realizing how quickly I could ruin audio. So then I took his course (laughs) and then started finding clients in earnest. That's very cool. How did you find those clients? Did they just like word of mouth? Uh, So some of it was word of mouth. Uh, Of course, there was the one that I was doing for free. Uh, which, of course, is a great price for him. And then some of it was word of mouth. And then it was connections that I made through like Facebook groups or through people that I knew. One of my early on clients is still a client. She's got a production company where she wanted to start producing and managing shows, but she didn't want to do the editing. And we had connected through Facebook. We had a quick call. She had gone to my website, saw what I offered, said, this is what I want for my clients. It matches what you provide. Let's talk pricing and what can you do for a white-labeled service. And then we signed off, and I've got four shows with her. Oh, that's cool. Do you have your own show still? I, uh, so the two solo shows that I've hosted over the years, those are both on pause. 
and then I co-host currently the podcast editors mastermind, which is for podcast which editors. Which I actually just joined. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and then I also I've co-hosted a show that's called the Podcast Gauntlet that I'm, is just launching right now. And this is all about some of the it must have to be this way type stuff in the podcasting space. Where if you ask, like, if you were to ask in a Facebook group, what microphone should I get? You'd get like a yeah. thousand different people all saying their microphone. So we're trying to take a little bit more nuanced discussion into that and go like, this is probably the best answer, but these are the things you need to think about because it's not always the best answer. So what was it that drew you to Hindenburg as opposed, you talked about GarageBand earlier, which makes me shiver a little. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so why Hindenburg? So it was actually a, a bit of an interesting journey because I did start with GarageBand and my next move because I wanted to get away from GarageBand because at the time there was no, I don't know if there still is, but there was no shuffle delete. So it was put your cursor, make a cut point, make another cut point, exactly. delete a section, drag it. And, it's one of and, and I screwed up so much stuff and I spent so much time fixing things. So I went to a software that's called Twisted Wave, mm -hmm. which is similar to Audacity, but I thought it was easier to use. Not everybody agrees with me, that's fine, but it was a destructive editor. And so I was looking for something that was not a destructive editor. And I was trying to decide between Reaper, which is fairly inexpensive and very powerful, right. Adobe Audition, which is very powerful and also a monthly subscription, exactly. and then Hindenburg. And what really got me with Hindenburg was things like the auto level and the publishing destinations and the voice profiler, like some of that stuff that now, as I focus more on the engineering side, a lot of that stuff I just do myself. But early on, it was that part and the fact that it was a one-time purchase. So I was like, okay, I can, first I bought the light version, then I upgraded to the pro version, but I was like, you know what, I can drop $300 or $350, whatever it was at the time, one time, because I, I bought it on a discount too, right? Mm -hmm. So I dropped this money one time and then all the way until version 2.0 and I'm on six years into it and we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, I've got free updates, whereas Adobe Audition is 20 bucks a month, Reaper's good and like they I, have, do I have no similar thing with right. the updates and, and, until I, and I have no issue with it but Hindenburg also is a is a dialogue editing first program it was built for journalists who are creating stories and they and so the editing part is front and center and mixing part is secondary which of course drives a lot of audio engineers insane because they want to do all their fancy mixing stuff that's all secondary because in, for the most part most of that is not really needed for most podcast production right. And if it is, a lot of times you're going to be having a dialogue editor who then sends off the project to a sound designer to put in the music and do all those kinds of things. And so Hindenburg wasn't built for that part of it, whereas I felt like Reaper was really built for the mixing part mm -hmm. and editing came secondary. And so I chose editing over that more advanced engineering stuff because it's just faster. I mean, I do, I work a full-time job. And I've edited as many as 250 episodes a year myself before I started bringing people in. And I'm able to do it because of the way Hindenburg handles the editing process. Mm, you're almost convincing me <laughs> to try doing it. I now have Hindenburg as yeah. my uh, presentation. I needed to get it. They do have a monthly though, don't they? They do. They, they didn't have that at the time. They do have a monthly now. And I actually have a subscription to Hindenburg Narrator, which is their audiobook program because I've got a client that wants to produce an audiobook, and mm -hmm. so I wanted to get that and learn it, and then tell him, okay, use this, because it's got super cool stuff, like you can load the book, and then read along with the EPUB, and you click on the line, and so it'll put the timestamps where stuff goes, so then if you need to go back and fix a word, you just find it and fix it. That is very cool. Yeah, and, and it's built specifically for that. Uh, I didn't buy the whole thing, because it's not inexpensive, but I got a year's subscription, so I can help him with his book, and I don't know, it was like 100 bucks or something for the year. It's not terrible, especially if, 
you're going to make some money producing an audiobook. Yeah, right? I actually did an audiobook in September. Okay. And I say in September because it took the whole month to do it. Yeah. But I, yeah, um, I was constantly having to use the search because I had a PDF of the book and right. it was on another screen and yep. I, I kept having to put, when I was editing it, I kept having to put whatever word it was. And if it was a common word, of course, it's going to show up in 15 different places. So right. yeah, having that timestamp thing would have been super helpful. Yeah. And, and then the other thing is just like Hindenburg has publishing destinations for podcasters uh -huh. or radio people that need to send files off to the same place every time. It has all of the standards stuff preloaded, so you can do your ACX pre-scan, and it'll check and see, do you have enough dead yeah. air before? Is your noise floor low enough? It'll right. do all of that stuff yeah, yeah. for you, which, as the engineer, I'd like to think that I can deliver on that anyway, but I'm also yeah. thinking it's a little bit different when you get a punch and roll where you've got maybe 100 different files for an audiobook as compared to getting a multi-track with just two files for a podcast episode because that's a lot to sort through and go, okay, which one do I need to fix this pop or click in? Mm -hmm. right, so I think it'll help with that. We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. What I used, just so people know, yeah, Audacity has its famous ACX check free thing, but it doesn't check all the things Brian just mentioned. It doesn't check the, the time before and after. And there's a couple other things it doesn't check. But what does work really well if you don't have Hindenburg is SoundForge Studio, which is only like $39, $49. SoundForge Studio has an ACX check that checks all these things and it does it much better than ACX check and Audacity, but it sounds like if you get Hindenburg though for the audiobook, what's it called, Hindenburg? Hindenburg Narrator. Narrator, that that will work much better if you're gonna do audiobooks, that's awesome. Well, okay, you're, you're almost selling me on, uh, <laughs> but, but I only, I, I had to do a demo at PodFest on just one little thing in Hindenburg. And so I got on their monthly program and it's only like $7 or something like something that. Something like Seven it, yeah. or nine it's not or terrible. Something. And that's for the pro version, whereas Adobe Audition is $22 a month on Creative Cloud, which I'm not a fan of. Unfortunately, I'm addicted to Adobe Audition, so I'm kind of stuck. They have yeah. me. Yeah, they do. You already answered this. I was going to ask you what advantages over uh, other popular programs like Reaper, Audacity, and Adobe Audition that Hindenburg has. Do you have anything to add other than what you've already said? Maybe just a little bit of nuance, because like, there are a lot of other features that Hindenburg has. I think the thing I would suggest is if you're listening to this and going, should I switch to Hindenburg? My question would be, is what you're doing working for you? And if it is, then unless you want something in the feature set, stay with what you're doing. There's a learning curve to any new software, and Hindenburg is no different. And so. You just have to decide whether what you think you're going to get in terms of the feature set would be enough. In terms of feature set, it has match loudness, which is similar to Audition on export. It also has auto leveling when you bring stuff in so you can get it to a consistent level. Oh, you don't have to do like Mark was doing yesterday right. and have to pre-luffs everything to negative yeah, so 23? Yeah, so if you want it to, it'll pre-luff stuff. I've turned that off and it's possible to do that. And you can choose what level you want it to pre-luffs it to if you want to go there. It does have a built-in noise reduction module and a loudness meter. You can use third-party plugins. It's audio units for Mac. It's VST for mm -hmm. Windows. You know, all the standard audio stuff that's there. And then really publishing destinations as a, an yeah, editor cool. is great because then I just say this is the show and it automatically sends it there. I don't have to wonder if I've got it in the wrong place. And then, of course, the clipboards. I use the clipboards and that was one of the things I showed people while we were doing the demo that I did was some of the non-standard ways that you can do them but um, I'll use them to drop a breath in if I need to replace breaths or to drop in some room tone if we might need to replace a breath with, in quotes, right. silence, and we don't really want it silent. Yeah, that clipboards thing uh, was one of the coolest things in your, in your presentation that I'd never heard of before. That's a, that's a very yeah. cool thing. So it does, it does, what if, 
You said if you're comfortable doing what you're doing. I'm going to say this because I'll bet there's other people out there who, if you're editing podcasts, even your own or someone else's, that it's taken you forever, even though you're super familiar with the software. So, like, sure. I, do, I use Reaper to, because I have to do a lot of, like, cutting out, like I just said, like, yeah. uh, a lot of these non-value-added words, uh, the uhs and everything, and try to almost construct the person's sentences in a lot of places because they're, mm -hmm. they're going off on tangents, they're going, oh yeah, I remember, you know, halfway through something. And so I'm having to do a lot of cuts and then I'll have to use non-destructive editing to kind of, ooh, I have to fix that because it's too close together and I, right. and I have to use fades on those little things. And that takes a long time. It's an hour-long podcast and that takes a long time. The only thing that I've gotten to speed it up is to maybe try to play it back at like 1.6 okay, uh, yeah. speed. And, and then I have keyboard shortcuts sure. for certain things. But but for the most part, that's all. I, I can't. I feel like I can't speed it up anymore. Sure. So based on that, do you think there's anything in Hindenburg that would help me to speed that up? Potentially. I'm glad you asked that question. So there are a couple of things that are designed to do just some of that, right? So you talked about the variable speed. Mm -hmm. Hindenburg, you can have the very speed is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And you can toggle between 1x, which is your standard right. rate, and then the other one can be anywhere from half speed to, I think, four times speed. Um, I typically run it at 2x, and then I've just got a keyboard shortcut program to my mouse so that I can just switch back and forth and toggle it. So I'll be listening along at 2x, I'll see something that looks like a bad breath coming up. I can drop it down to 1x and go, okay, is this what I think it is? And fix it or same thing will happen with like you see the little pops and clicks that you think might be an audible sound as mm -hmm. you're watching the waveform so I'll do the same thing there like is this actually audible or can I leave exactly it? right you do have to toggle it on and off quite a lot to find right. out if maybe the spaces are natural or not right. it, it sounds fine at 2x right but when it's at regular speed it's like this huge pregnant pause you want to get rid yeah. of so yeah Daniel had a thing in his right. where he's got a keyboard shortcut to turn that on and off because right now in Reaper I use Reaper to do this you have to go to the bottom right of the thing and then you have to click inside of it it would be better with a keyboard shortcut he's right. got it mapped to his mouse too right so yeah I'm definitely going to do that when I get home, but still. There were two other things as you were talking that oh, right, I thought right, right. about. One of them is, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you're editing two tracks and you need to cut a spot and so you do like a ripple delete where you're deleting everything so following. So you don't mess up the timing. And you forget to do one track and so they get out of sync. I do it all the time. Um, Hindenburg, you can link <laughs> tracks and so when you select it will automatically select both tracks or all three or all five or whatever. And then the other thing is they've got a cool thing where if you, there's a keyboard shortcut plus a mouse click will select the region that you're on and then everything following it in the timeline. Okay. So if you need to move everything forward because you created a space, you just do that and then you don't have to find all of the regions and like try and select them Lasso all. over it all. Right, it'll just automatically select it then you just move them all. So I do that all the time, especially I've got one client who likes to pre-edit his videos and then sends them to me and sometimes he doesn't leave enough space between thoughts and so rather than having to click and zoom out and click and get all the way to the end. I just do this keyboard shortcut plus a mouse click, selects it all, I just move it a little tiny a bit and fix the timing. Everything else moves yeah. with it. Yes, that is very cool. Is Hindenburg geared more toward people recording spoken word stuff for podcasts, voiceovers, and audiobooks? And yes. You already said yes. for audiobooks rather than musicians. If you're a musician, would there be any reason ever to get Hindenburg? I would never recommend Hindenburg if you're producing music. And if you need one solution to do music and spoken word, Hindenburg mm -hmm. would not be my recommendation. Got it. If you want some, like if you do music and spoken word, and you're okay with two different solutions, mm -hmm. one that's optimized for each, mm -hmm. then yes, absolutely, Hindenburg is what I would choose for spoken. Got it. 
So you're a podcast editor. Mm -hmm. So podcasters send you their raw audio that they recorded mm -hmm. at home, mistakes and all. Yes. Poor quality, etc. And then in a nutshell, what do you do with that audio? So it, of course it depends a little bit on what the, the client wants, but I like to tell them that depending on what they want, we can handle anything from after they hit stop and send us the files until it's published and including social media and graphics and all that stuff if they want, because I have a small team that works with me. On the audio production side specifically, I do a certain amount of audio repair. Every file that I get has something that needs to be fixed just in automatically. the raw audio. It just, I mean, even the stuff that I record, there's always imperfections, right? And so I'll, I'll do an audio repair thing where I'll take a look and see is there background, persistent background noise that needs to be mm -hmm. adjusted? Are there popping peas that I can see? Like, so I'll go through and I'll do all that kind of stuff and then I'll work in Hindenburg to make sure that the conversation flows, remove as many distractions as we possibly can while keeping it feeling natural and like a good conversation. The picture that I like to draw, and this actually came out of a conversation this week, is our goal is to remove any smudges without leaving our own streaks behind. Right. Huh. So we, we want to help you clean it up, but we don't want to leave streaks. And if there's a judgment call to make, we will bias toward the smudges rather than leaving our own streaks. Okay. Uh, of course, there are instances where that can't happen. If they send you something that's recorded in a really loud reverberant room, there's a certain amount of that that we can't fix, but then also in fixing it, sometimes there are artifacts and we might make that judgment call, but we do yeah. our best and then we'll mix and master it to the regular standards that we're expecting for podcasts so it's loud enough, it's consistent. We'll try and make all the audio sound really good and what we're not gonna do is take my voice and make me sound like Barry White. We're gonna try <laughs> and take my voice and make me sound like me. You. Right, as best we can and maybe I would even say maybe a little bit me plus, right? Because we want it to sound really good and really present, but not turning you into somebody else. So if you met me in a conference, you'd go, oh, I know his voice. Mm -hmm. He's in person, so yeah, it sounds a little bit different, but it's not like, oh, I've heard this guy on FM radio, and where's that deep, bassy voice I thought I was going to have right. in him? Because we don't add something that's not there to this the best part. This guy's not nearly as sexy as he sounds on <laughs> well, the that's, podcast. Well, right? that's clearly true. <laughs> I mean, you can see me, you know that's true. So that's what we try and do. Okay, so... Homebrew audio listeners and readers and everything else <laughs> are focused on, on home audio recording. Yeah. And I try to always present only information that they need to know. People just want to make good quality recordings. They don't want to become engineers. I'm not trying to create audio engineers. Just people with a decent grasp of the basics so that they can raise their level so it doesn't sound like they're recording in a shower. Right. Since I know that you receive unedited audio from clients who are recording podcasts at home, what would you say is the most common mistake, or maybe top one or two or three? So maybe we can start with mindset first. Okay. I think the most common mindset mistake that I see is people thinking that it's possible to fix anything in post-production, right? And so... We'll fix it in post. Right. And so I'm not going to throw any particular software under the bus, but let's say that they record using a substandard recording solution where it sounds more like you're on a telephone than it sounds like you're standing next to each other. Ah, I think I know which one yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> I can't fix that. I can't, I mean, there's a certain amount of engineering that I can do to bring out what little bit remains of the beauty of your voice. But ultimately, if you record on a phone, you're going to sound like you're on a phone. I can't make that not happen. Garbage in, garbage in. Um, then the other thing I would say, and I, I would, I tell people this kind of thing all the time, like, cause they'll ask what's the best microphone. Um, if you want to make sure that you're recording good audio, I would suggest focus first on your recording environment. Yes, the microphone's important. Yes, how you use it is important. That's even probably more important than the microphone, but equally important to all of that is 
is the place where your recording optimized. If you're recording next to a train track and there's a train going by, I can't fix that. Right. Like, if you're talking at the same time, I can't cut it out. If you stop talking for 10 minutes while it runs, I mean, we can cut that, yeah. But yeah. fix the room first or choose a better room if you've got one available. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, of course, there are all kinds of trade-offs. Then worry about things like the microphone and right. yeah, how to use it is important. I would say how to use the microphone is probably more important than the microphone itself, as long as you have a certain baseline of microphone. I've, the $15 Amazon microphone is not what I'm going to recommend for you, exactly. but you can make it sound okay as long as you use it well and your room is sufficiently, is the right kind of space. And I don't want to go into all the details on that. But exactly. yeah, if you do that right, you don't have to worry so much about all the rest. And then all the other stuff is incremental changes as you discover a thing you want to fix. And then you start going, okay, there's this one thing about my production I want to fix. Rather than going, tell me the best thing you go, what can I do that will address this one thing? Mm -hmm. And for, especially for home recording people, what can I do that's going to cost me zero money and as little effort as possible exactly. first before you start going, you know, should I buy a thousand dollar acoustic treatment for my room or something like that, yes. right? Can you do the, the pillows or the blanket fort or any of that stuff? Look at that stuff first, because you've already got the stuff. Yep. <laughs> and it is so possible to have the most expensive mic in the world and still make a crappy recording. Oh yeah, I could throw a vintage tube mic into the space that we're recording in now. Yeah, yeah. which and, by the way is not optimal. <laughs> right, and it would still, it would never sound like we were in a sound studio yeah. recording a grand piano. Like, mm -hmm. it's just not gonna happen because the space doesn't support it. The microphone is not in the right place for that microphone. I would want to use something completely different for that. So the message, which is in line with what I try to also preach, is that it's basically knowledge trumps gear. So Absolutely. Whatever mic you have, let's maximize how you can make that one sound first. And someone was talking yesterday about moving up to a, a Samson Q2U microphone. Yeah. And I thought, hey, I've reviewed the Samson Q2U. It's not half bad if you use it right. Yeah. If you're starting out using the little built-in mic in your laptop, then it's a good upgrade. And then you can upgrade from there. But you can make bad recordings with, with expensive microphones. I've done it. So... <laughs> <laughs> So don't don't just don't just think that buying an expensive microphone is going to solve your problem. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Is there anything else that you have to like continually fix, like every single time, even though you're trying to tell your clients, please? So I have a couple of sort of third-party clients, if you will, mm -hmm. where the focus of their business is ongoing training and courses and stuff like that, and so they've optimized their studios for video, which means largely bare walls hard surfaces, and so this is a case where, for their use case, they've decided to optimize for that and let the audio fall behind, and so then I do the best that I can with what they have. My suggestion, especially if you do audio and video, is what can you do within the scope of your video production to make the audio sound good? Because you don't want seat cushions behind you if you're doing If you have a video course. camera right. in front of you, right. right. But by the same token, you also don't want to sound like you're in a cavern because I think the famous quote, I don't remember who, who made it was, but like half of the movie is the, is the audio, half of the video is the audio. You will be perceived as more authoritative, smarter. Professional. Even if people don't, like they're not gonna like overtly do this, but your message will carry more weight if you can demonstrate that you've taken the time to prioritize your viewer and listener experience to where what they hear is understandable, it's easy to understand, it's clear, just the same as you wouldn't lay out a course that's hard to follow, you don't wanna speak in a way that's hard to follow. Right, okay, so um, there was a course. Yes. Tell us about your course. Sure, so this is for people that have picked up Hindenburg Light. 
or Pro, but it's biased toward light. There are different feature sets in Pro that, that are in light, so I built it for the one that everybody can have. Got it. And yep. then if you have the extra stuff. And it's just designed to help you get up and running as quickly as possible. So the way the course is laid out, I've got three videos at the beginning that are a little bit longer. It's basically watch over my shoulder while I show you how to do all this stuff. And I go through like how to set it up and do a recording how to edit and then how to publish in three steps. And they're, I don't know, in total it's maybe an hour of those. And then I've got another probably 30 modules that are just two to five minutes Ooh. of how to do a specific thing. So if you're going, I don't remember exactly how to do that one thing or I want a little bit deeper understanding, you don't have to try and scroll through a 30 minute video to find the eight seconds you care about. So it's all kind of right there. That's designed to get you up and running and then sort of add on to your education as you want to learn more. That's very cool. So do you ever find yourself going back to your own videos to remember how to do something? No, actually that hasn't happened. That's a great question though. <laughs> I do it all the time. Okay, so do you have any other courses in the pipeline maybe or anything coming up that we should pay attention to or keep our eyes I, open? I don't for? currently. People have been asking for a course specific to pro and I'm a little bit ambivalent to making a pro only course because 95% of the feature set of is Pro already. is already in light. What I'm thinking about doing is potentially doing an add-on and then potentially doing a re-record of the light version because they've actually renamed the software since I originally recorded it. it used to be Hindenburg Journalist and Hindenburg Journalist Pro. Uh -huh. well, they cut out Journalist and they made it Hindenburg Light and Hindenburg Pro. Ah, and so okay. throughout the whole video set, I'm calling it Hindenburg Journalist. Well, it's not that Makes anymore. Sense. Um, and then they've, they've added some functionality. So I, I want to make sure that I stay relevant, but I... I haven't had the time to get back to it because I'm producing 300 episodes a year. Right, I, was say, I hear that. So where can people find you on the internet if they're interested in your course or maybe being a client? Where do they find you? I'd just go to the website, toptieraudio.com. What's it called now? Toptieraudio.com. Toptieraudio.com. Yeah. And then the links to the social profiles are there. There's a contact page. Links to the course are there. All the stuff is there because I can't remember how to give out all the URLs. So just go to toptieraudio.com. Yeah, absolutely. All right. <laughs> makes sense. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Brian. I really appreciate that. And have a safe trip home from Podfest. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody. That was Brian Ensminger, and that was some awesome information about Hindenburg and just about editing for podcasts in general. So hopefully you will find all of that very useful. So we will see you next time.